listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a podcast consultant living here in Fukushima Prefecture, Japan. We are up to episode 105 today. Wow, we've gone past 100. We are moving forward. And I feel like I'm fi- I'm finally sort of getting some some traction with the podcast. And I actually now have a wonderful assistant who helps me. And I love being able to um, delegate tasks and not have to do all the fiddly bits. And if you feel like that about podcasting, then you should definitely get in touch so that we can help you over on Pod Launch with Jane. I've been amazed just how many people have been contacting me recently for help with podcasting. So make sure you contact me sooner rather than later so we don't get filled up <laughs> to capacity with clients. And I'm not kidding. I'm not even kidding. It's so exciting. Today, I have a very, very fun interview with Violet Pachaleo. She used to be in the financial industry in Tokyo. She was a financial analyst for quite a while in Tokyo. And just in the last year or so, she and her family have made the transition to living full-time in a little town called Otoyo in Kochi Prefecture, which if your geography about Japan is not so great, that is on the island of Shikoku. I have never been to Shikoku, I am very sad to say. It looks amazing down there. And I've been following Violet on her Instagram for a wee while now, and she just posts these most beautiful pictures of rivers and things down there. It looks amazing. Now, Violet has decided to make it her mission to help redevelop the town that her family has, you know, still owns land in, which is this little town called Otoyo. And you're going to hear about some of the things that she's doing. But one of those things is creating the first ever CrossFit gym on Shikoku. And as you know, CrossFit has been around for a while, but it has only really started to pick up in Japan and you know, recently. So this is very exciting. They're building a retreat and a CrossFit gym in this most beautiful location down there in Kochi Prefecture. So yeah, today you're going to hear some really great stuff about what it's like down there, um, what it's like working with local governments there as opposed to being in the financial industry in Tokyo. And Violet's husband is also a stay-at-home dad. So you'll hear a little bit about what that's like as well. And I know all the working mums out there will be dying to hear about the the real story about that. <laughs> and yeah, just so much good advice there for, especially if you're someone who's thinking about maybe, maybe you've seen something in the town where you live and it could be in Japan or wherever you are in the world and something you 
scene that you think needs to change or could be better. And this is how Violet went about doing it. And I'm just amazed at all the things that she's achieved in such a short time uh, after having left Tokyo to live in Kochi full time. So yeah, actually, just let's just get into the episode. I really want you to hear from Violet. It's such a good story. Here we go. Hi, Violet. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I came to know about you a few months ago. I think it was now. Yeah. And you contacted me out of the blue. And I am I was like, who is this Violet person? I've never heard of her. And yeah. then I saw what you were up to. And I thought, wow, yeah. this is really, really exciting. So yeah, and here we are today on the show. But I yeah. think we have to just say, talk a little bit briefly and say thank you to Tia, top Tia also, yeah. because you actually took part in one of her retreats that was here in my city, in Iwaki City, right? Yeah, I did. I think that was two, two or three years ago. About three years ago. And I didn't know that you were one of the members on that yes. trip until yeah. just a few months ago. That was so funny. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't get to meet that time. But yeah, here we are today recording a podcast episode together. So please introduce yourself for the listeners. Just tell them a little bit about who you are, what you do and who you help. Yeah. So I live in a town called Otoyo in Kochi. In, it's, it's a mountain town on the border of Tokushima and Kochi on one of the southern islands of Shikoku. I, right now, I do three things. One is I'm an economic development consultant. And as part of that, I also am a reporter for NHK World. And the third thing is I'm building a fitness retreat that's going to be opening next year. In Kochi, yeah? In Kochi. Mm. Yeah. So it's difficult to understand what those three, how those three things relate. But I think I need to explain my background and how I became to come. Yeah, tell us how, how did you get to be there where you are today? Where does this all start? Yeah. So my background is actually in the Japanese uh, equities, Japanese stock market. For 15 or so years, I worked in you know Tokyo, London and various other financial cities around the world covering you know, the Japanese stock market. So whether it's investing or whether it's, you know, selling to institutional investors or working for an investment bank. So I did that for about 15 years. I also have, I'm also a mom of three kids and I was working long hours and it, I got to the point where I felt like I was exhausted all the time. I wasn't being a good mom. I was drinking too much and you know, I'm making bad lifestyle decisions because I was working so much. And I just wanted to step back and take back some of the control of my life that I'd lost. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be hired by a hedge fund in Hong Kong to work remotely from Tokyo. So that's when I set up my own company in 2018 to be able to have a better work-life balance. Um, also, I thought, um, work-life balance and be able to work anywhere and have a flexible working hours. So I set up VP Advisors in Tokyo in Azabu in 2018. I was working for a uh, through that company, I was working for a hedge fund based in Hong Kong doing uh, research on J Japan. And then, you know, even before COVID, I was able to work remotely from anywhere. And that allowed me to come and visit my mother who was living alone in Otoyo in Kochi. Um, so I'd leave my family, my my kids and my husband in Tokyo. And I'd come to Kochi, you know, for maybe two weeks every 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 other month, um, work from down here in Kochi and then go back to Tokyo. So I was testing out whether I could, you know, work in Kochi 
you know, whether that would be possible. And um, Altoyo didn't have internet when I started doing this. But what? They really? Started, yeah. Yeah. My, my mom's internet was so slow and there was no internet in the other house I was staying in. So it was, it was quite difficult when I first started doing it. But they have now got high-speed internet across the town of Auto. So everywhere you go, there's high-speed internet now. So it's a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 2000, so last year, so so I was thinking, you know, can I move my family down here? Because my mother owns a bit of land in the mountains and she wasn't maintaining it and the neighbors were complaining. And so my husband would come down here and cut the grass and maintain. And, you know, a lot of the fruit trees would dying because the vines were wrapped around it so my husband was kind enough to come down here and and uh, help out with my mom uh, land and I thought well why not my husband wasn't working so I thought why not just get my husband and the kids to move down to Korchi and I could live in Tokyo but then you know work from both locations so my husband and my kids moved here in February last year even before the COVID you know spread so we were very lucky it was just such a coincidence and um, they moved down here I got a small apartment in Tokyo and I was working, you know, but in both locations, because if I get the Shinkansen from Shinagawa at 6.15 on a Friday, I get back to Kochi by 11 o'clock. So it kind of worked nicely and I did that for a bit. But one thing's led to another. I lost that contract with the hedge fund. And at the same time, I thought it'd be great to help the local community try and bring in private investment into this region because this town of Otoyo was the first town in, in Japan to be named uh, Genkai Shuraku. Genkai Shuraku means marginalized um, town where, you know, population is decreasing. People are migrating, young people are migrating to cities. 65, more than 65% of the population is over, 60, over 65. So, you know, this town went from, I think they had like 17,000 people living here back in the 70s to now there's only 3,200 people and 65% of those are over 65. So, you know, there's really no, you know, talent here. There's no businesses. There's no money that's going around uh, to run to run this economy. Everything is subsidized and everything is um, subsidized by the, by the you know, central government. So without the central government's money, this town just wouldn't operate. And I thought there must be something I could do because I've got an economics background. You know, I studied economics at university. I've been working in investment banks for you know 15 years and analyzing different Japanese companies. And I thought maybe I could use my background to help people and businesses here and also the, the, the government to see if there's anything I could do to revitalize the region. So that's how I ended up becoming an economic development consultant. And I was lucky enough that NHK World was looking for a reporter. To rep- uh, they were going to do a documentary on Altoya last year, and I was lucky that they contacted me. And I ended up doing a 30-minute program for them, and uh, they really liked it. So I think they're turning it into a you know a series where I'm going to be going to other re- ma- marginalized towns uh, around Japan, and we're going to do a few more shows. Wow, exciting! So hopefully, you know, I can get more, get some ideas on what the other towns are doing to revitalize the region. I can bring it back to Korchi and see if I can, you know, work with the Korchi government to try out some of those ideas. Um, and then the fitness retreat is another thing. Um, I've been doing CrossFit for over five years. My husband's always been, he doesn't do CrossFit. He's been always been very physically fit uh, because of his background. He used to be a firefighter. He was a medic. He was a combat medic. He worked for, he was a contractor uh, in you know private military companies. He's, 
he's he also does jujitsu. So he's he's always been in very physical um, jobs, and we wanted somewhere to work out. There's nowhere to work out here, obviously. Korchi also, as a, as a prefecture, has one of the lowest number of fitness facilities. There's only 16. There was only 16. I think this is like data that came out two years ago, so maybe there's more now, but there's really not many fit, fitness centers. Right. So the fitness retreat is something, it's a very small way for me to be able to create jobs and to help build a community and promote healthy living. And I want to, you know, benefit this town and promote economic recovery in a small way. So that where the fitness retreat idea came from so it's going to be 120 million yen investment and we're going to start building later on this year and it's going to be a six-month building process and hopefully it'll be will be able to open in april next year exciting so what will happen at this fitness retreat will we be doing crossfit or like what, yeah. what what's going to happen yeah um we're going to build a 200 square meter warehouse for crossfit and then we're going to have an outdoor. So the whole area that I'm re- redeveloping is right next to a river. It's on the river with rice paddies around. And the whole to- total area is about 1,500 square meters. My mother owns the land. So, you know, we're really lucky we can use that. And so there's three levels. My granddad used to have rice. She used to um, grow rice there. So... But it hasn't been used for over 20 years, so it's just grass and weeds. So we're going to build a 200 square meter CrossFit warehouse. And then there's going to be an outdoor area where you can uh, work out outside overlooking the river. And then we're going to build a two-floor accommodation right next to it on the same property overlooking the river and the rice paddy. So it's going to be very pretty. And then um, we're also going to have a small event space where it's going to overlook the river you know, maybe we can get DJs in the summer. And then further down, just right on the river, there's a small area where my granddad, I guess, used to grow vegetables. We're going to flatten it out and um, put some concrete down and build a tiny house. So it's going to be a big project, but I'm very excited. Local people seem to be excited because, you know, there's never been any big, it's not really big, relatively compared to other investments but you know they've never seen any investment go into this town so recently so everybody's very excited yeah and i can imagine crossfit is something they've sort of potentially never seen or heard of so there's something exciting for them (laughs) yeah we've been really lucky because aya who used to be a coach at the crossfit i used to go to in tokyo she's becoming more and more popular in japan because she she's on tv a lot so she's been promoting I guess, indirectly promoting CrossFit for me. Um, so people here, when I mention CrossFit, they'll say Aya. So, you know, people seem to know. And who is this Aya? Aya, I don't know her. Who's, who's she? So Aya is her name. That A-Y-A is her Oh, um, she's got, name. like, that's just her name, A-Y-A. That's her, that's her celebrity, I guess, her okay. <laughs> stage name, stage name. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, I'll check her out because I've obviously known about CrossFit for years, but yeah, I've never seen yeah. anything about CrossFit happening in my city here in, in Fukushima Prefecture. But yeah, that's not to say yeah. that Japanese people don't know about it. But hmm. Yeah, it's it's become really popular. But there are no other CrossFits on this island yet. So there's no CrossFit in Shikoku. So we'll be the first to open. I'm really awesome. excited about that. Yeah. Claim that one first. Yeah. First CrossFit, CrossFit gym on Shikoku. And Shikoku. Awesome. Yeah. And we've also been, we're also been training with the Japan Weightlifting Association, Japan Olympic Weightlifting Association um, in Kochi. And um, they're excited that we're opening because right now there's nowhere, 
no facility where they can train weightlifting because with the Olympic weightlifting, which is part of, you know, one of the things we have to do in CrossFit is, you know, you have the barbell and you need somewhere where you can use free, freestanding barbells and somewhere you can drop it, drop the weights. And you can't really, you can't do that in a normal gym. Mm. And so the weightlifting association have been asking local schools if they can use their facilities, but because of COVID, it's been difficult for them to use a facility. So the whole of last year, they didn't train, you know, they have competitions they have to train for. So they're very excited. We've been training with them um, the last month and we're trying to bring them to Otoyo and have a facility in Otoyo for them to train and then leading up to the CrossFit opening. And then once we open, they are going to be training with us at our facility. So that's very exciting as well. Wow. You've already got yeah, things lining up nicely there. And you're yeah. filling a niche that has been neglected yeah. in so many ways. And I, I just can't get past this riverside location. Sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Oteo has a, a big river running down right middle of the um, the town called Yoshino River. Apparently, like I'm not a big rafting person, but apparently according to the rafting guides here, it's one of the best rivers to do whitewater rafting in Japan. And we also host the world championships, rafting world championships here on this on this river. So it's right by the river. It's it's not it's it's one of the small rivers that's going into Yoshino River, but it's at the cross section. So our, our CrossFit is going to be built right on the cross section. And that's actually the starting point for all the rafting. So we have about 40,000 people, tourists come and do rafting every year. And, and our CrossFit is going to be located right where the rafting starts. So it's a perfect location for a fitness retreat. You know, people can come and work out at our CrossFit. They can go rafting. They can do standard paddle boards. They can go cycling. They can go hiking, you know, trail running. There's lots of things you can do. Wow, I'm coming. Like, sign yeah. me up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And you mentioned about the access, right? Because I was thinking, oh, my God, how do you get there? But you said by Shinkansen from Tokyo, you can be there in like four hours. Yeah. Is that right? So there's two ways. Well, there's three ways if you want to count the ferry. But if you're in Tokyo, I guess, from Tokyo, you can either get the Shinkansen to Okayama. And then Okayama, you get the fast train down to where we are, which is Toyonaga Station. It's two stations down from Oboke. I think a lot of people know Oboke because um, it's a very famous tourist spot in Tokushima. But we're like 15 minutes drive from there. So that's I think that's about four or five hours from Tokyo on the bullet train. Or you can fly. It's an hour to Kochi Airport from Tokyo. And then it's another 40-minute drive on the motorway to here. And then the third way is the ferry. I've only done it once or twice when I was a young girl, but you can, you know, if you're driving and you want to bring the car, you can get on the ferry. I think it's an overnight from Tokyo to maybe Tokushima, and then it's maybe an hour drive from there. So there's three ways. So, that, sorry, where does the ferry go from? I think it's Tokyo to Tokushima. Okay. I'm not quite sure. And then it's an, a, an hour drive from there to us. Well, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, because I quite often... Um, in Totori, which is kind of on the other side of Japan from where you are. Yeah. But yeah, from if I can get, I could drive to Okoyama and then jump on this train that takes you mm. there and wouldn't take that long to get there at all. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll keep that in mind because, yeah, I come quite often down that way for the summer and things. Yeah. Because we're not opening till next year, um, we will be coming up with, you know, ideas on teaming up with the local like taxi company or tour company to pick up if, if people want to come here we can pick them up from the airport bring them back here so they wouldn't have to get a car 
or you know they can get a rental and, and drive up it's really not that far from the from the airport yeah i'm sure it's it's not like a really difficult drive you know it's not like yeah. trying to get through osaka <laughs> or something like that yeah okay very very exciting things happening down in kochi yeah wow i can't wait to see it so <laughs> if people are like curious and they want to see what's happening then they should definitely pop over to your instagram right because that's where you're sort of documenting all of this as you go along yeah so i have to say i don't have a facebook i used to and i got rid of it 10 years ago and i can't log back into it so i've given up on trying to open up my facebook account which is not great if i'm going to be a business owner but um yes i have an instagram account i have a linkedin my husband's created a autoyostrength.com website um it's just a landing page it just says you know we're op- we're, we're opening next year please sign up uh leave your email address but that's another way of you know if you want to um yeah, get on the list. Yeah, yeah, I guess on the list you can get updates through there. Mm, that'd be good. Yeah, and you're also on LinkedIn too. Yeah, so people yes. can find you. We'll put that in the show notes for people if they want to follow what you're doing and you know, or get in touch and say, hey, sign me up, or or hey, maybe we can do something together, like you know, some sort of collaboration, or maybe they want to bring people to stay down there and have some kind of group retreat thing happening for whatever it is they do. Yeah. Yeah. What, like how many people can you have staying with you just out of curiosity? Well, our place, we're only building, you know, the the tiny house won't be built next year, but the one that we're building is going to be up to four people. So it's very small, but there's also um, lots of B&B hostel, not hostel, what do you call this? Minpaku, Minpaku style Mm. accommodations around. And then my next big project will be, you know, working with the town to maybe uh, re-renovate an old school so we can turn that into a hotel. But that's going to be a very, very long-term project because, mm-hmm. you know, the countrysides, they don't move very fast. So that's going to take a while. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because last year originally I wanted to, that was my, my first option one, plan, plan A. So I approached a local town hall and asked them if I could, you know, maybe look at some of the old schools. And the prefect, Korchi Prefecture was very on board with the idea of converting an old school and using it because there's so many, there's only one school standing in this, in this uh, left standing in this town. Everything else is just abandoned and not being used. So it's such a waste of assets. So I approached the town hall and also Kochi Prefecture and Prefecture was very, you know, helpful and they they wanted to help me. Um, so they got somebody from the town hall to come and show me around. But then the town hall, typical Japanese style, they'll say yes to your face and they go back and they have a meeting and then they come back to you and they're like, sorry, you know, we can't. Their response was, we don't, we don't feel comfortable leasing government assets to a private company for their profit was their answer. So I, I didn't, so I, 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 I know if I keep pushing, they may eventually say yes, but because there was an urgency in me moving forward this, with this project, I didn't want to wait around three, four, five years for them to say yes. So I decided to just build my own for now. And then, you know, when they do come around and I, I can show them that I am bringing people to this town, if I can show them that I'm, I'm hoping they'll they'll change their mind and let me use one of the school facilities. Yeah, I think definitely they, they'll they be watching what you're doing, right? And just seeing, okay, this this lady, she's, yeah, she's doing yeah. stuff. She's helping. She's reliable. 
okay, maybe we will think about her proposition again. And maybe they will be delighted with what you've created and want Mm. more of that for their town as well. And it's not like there aren't other places in Japan that are leasing their schools out for this kind of thing. Mm. You know, like it's it's not a new idea at all. Yeah. So yeah, they just need to to, some time to catch up. And it can be really frustrating when when you're trying to help and you can see how you can do it, but they're not quite ready for you yet. Yeah. I think I think what I've come across is, you know, having worked in big financial cities around the world, I've probably, you know, the, the best talent tend to go to the big city. So this town has had a, a migration of talent just you know, drift away. So I feel like the ones that are left here, you know, when I'm when I'm talking to people from town hall, I get the sense that a lot of people perhaps didn't have, don't have an education like we do in the cities. So we're we're not on the same when I'm having a conversation with them, if I mention something, they don't necessarily understand where I'm coming from. That's where I have to start. You know, I have to explain to them the basic concept of how you run an economy before I can go into why I'm doing something. Because to them, they don't see the big picture and everything is very short term. And they're so used to using the gov- the central government's government subsidy that they've just never had to work for you know, to raise money for the town. They've never had to promote this town to bring money in because they don't need to. The money's already there, given to them by the central government. And I think a lot of regional towns probably going through the same thing. And I think that's a big issue for Japan as a nation, you know, if they're going to sustain, if they need to find some way of sustaining regional economies to move forward. Yeah. It's, and, you know, you're dealing with people who can't see what they have around them. You can see all yeah. of the, the, the beauty and the potential, but they can't see it because they've lived there every day of their life. Potentially if they're working yeah. in City Hall, they've worked, lived yeah. there every day of their life. And they just, yeah, like you said, they've become reliant on these on this hojokin, this money from the government. And I even see that here in Fukushima, um, you know, 10 years on, there was a lot of hojokin floating around and it's starting to dry up and people are like, what? We we have to make our own money somehow. I have to create something that yeah. actually makes a profit by itself. I'm like, yes, that's how yeah. business works. Don't you know? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was talking to one of another entrepreneur in this town and he was saying yesterday that there's a, there's a, he, he, he sells, he's a hunter and he sells, um, you know, game meat mm. and uh, to, to basically to high-end restaurants, but he's trying to make, uh, to sell to the mass markets as well. So he said he was looking for a website he could list his food on, like sausages and um, pate, actually really good. Um, they're called um, Inoshika, Inoshika Kobo. Okay, Inoshika Kobo, we're putting that down in my notes here. Yeah. They're wild boar sausage and deer meat um, sausage, so good. Mm. Um Anyway, so he said uh, he was looking for a website he could list his products on and he found one that, you know, that represents this region. And he looked at what was listed and there were only two products on there. So he said he contacted them and said, can I have my stuff listed on there? And they were like, oh, hold on, hold on. This website was set up three years ago using the government subsidy and it hasn't been used since. So I'm starting to see that there are so many, you know, assets and and websites and facilities that get built using government subsidy because, you know. You've got to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But then they just don't know how to run it. Yeah. And I feel like that's where I could help with my consultancy. Mm. 
Definitely. I've, I mean, even here where I live, I've heard so many stories of these subsidies coming in and being used, and then they're not seeing any return for what they've done with the money. Yeah. And and I can see why, but yeah, the, it's mm. it's tricky. Yeah. So mm, very, yeah, a lot of work to be done. <laughs> Yeah. For you. Well, that's really interesting that, you know, this this combination of events has led you to where you are today. And I'm sure if you went back to Violet five years ago, even, mm. he would be just like, what? No way. I'm a financial yeah. analyst. I work in Tokyo. Now look at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five, five years ago. Yeah. I was, I was working for an Australian investment bank in Tokyo and 10 years ago I was living in LA so it's it's life has been very um what's the word not volatile but you know I've moved from country to country job to job career to career yeah and what what I've learned over the years is standing by my views without being swayed by others and take risks that that's definitely one thing that I've I, I think I'm getting better at as as I you know get older I'm 39 when I was in my 20s, I was very bad at standing by my own views. I was, you know, I get swayed by people around me. I wasn't very confident as a person. And I, I was raised, you know, watching Disney princess movies, you know, media propaganda on gender bias. So I just, I was, you know, and, and also growing up when I was younger, I grew up in Japan and, and also grew up in the UK. But girls were taught to, you know, look pretty and look for that shining a knight in shining armor who can lead you and your family and look after you. But then I, I realized that there's no such thing and you have to stand up and on your two feet and you have to be the one leading the family and you have to be the one. And if, if my husband wants to follow me, then, you know, he can follow me, but I need to be that person that, that that's going to, you know, take my family to the next level. And um, I think that was the transition from my twenties to my 30s, to now. That's so cool. Yeah, stand by your views. Yeah, I love that, stand by your views. And that's the thing. I think it, with age, we get better at it, right? We get more confident. Yeah. I mean, you you said you're 39. Wait till you get to 41. It's amazing over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm, not that different 41. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to go into, because if I start talking about gender equality in Japan, that's, that's a whole an, another topic. But in my 20s in finance industry in Japan, you know, 2005, 2006, I've just come out of university in the UK and I've gone to, um, my first job was with Nomura in Tokyo in a very Japanese domestic investment bank. And I'm in the research department. I actually lasted three months because there's such a big, co even though I'm half Japanese, I just felt like culturally I did not fit. You know, I'm in there and I noticed that women are, taught, are told to clean the sink at the end of the day, every day, even though there's cleaners. And I couldn't understand why. And I remember going to the head of the department, Butcher, the man in, in, in research and in equity research, and I said to him, you know, why am I having to clean the sink when there's cleaners? And he said, well, that's not for me to decide. The women decided to do that themselves. So you have to talk to the women. And then I remember opening the, um, the, the book, Nomura, like new grad book of things you have to do. And then women, there was a women's section and women had to have a skirt that measured a certain, you know, centimeter from the knee. And then it even had like a page for how to do your makeup correctly. And I was like, I can't believe that I'm looking at this, you know, and that was 2005, 2006. And then 
I moved on to a American investment bank after that Merrill Lynch, you know, similar experience. My head of research, Japanese male, Butcho, used to call me into his office all the time and tell me why women are not suited to be in this department. Even though I wasn't an analyst back then, I was an assistant. He kept saying, you know, women, he's like, you want to be an analyst? Well, women shouldn't, women are not suited to be analysts. And looking back on that, you know, as a 20 something new grad, you, you get brainwashed by all this. You're told by senior people in your company. And, but I was really lucky from there. I moved on to a British, British asset manager, Aberdeen, and they were so good. They, they, there was no gender bias. There was no, you know, it was very gender equal. And, um, you know, there, that's where I started to grow as, uh, as a person. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, as a, as a girl, especially in Japan, having those experiences in your career, you feel like you are the second class citizen because the, the men are the ones that are meant to lead. Men are the ones that are meant to provide for your family and girls are meant to just look pretty and, you know, sit back and let the men do the job. And then to, you know, marrying my husband and then my husband losing his job and I had no choice but to go and look for a job and, and then our roles got turned the other way. So I was working and he was looking after the kids at home. And um, that, that's the experience that taught me, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you have to stand on your two feet and you have to take risks. So sorry, I just went off on a tangent. No, I there. love that. So thank <laughs> you for, um, you know, just going into it a little bit about how the roles in your family got switched around from the norm that is expected in Japan. And I'm sure yeah. that in Kochi, it just wigs people out that you guys don't do it like everybody well, else does, right? People don't understand. I don't even bother explaining it to them anymore because they just don't understand. And, you know, they'll, my husband, my husband, yeah, he kind of had a, a part-time job in Tokyo as a fitness trainer because as a hobby, he was going to jujitsu and then the guys at jujitsu, I guess, saw my husband and wanted to learn from him. So he was doing that part-time, but, you know, I was the main earner and we come here and it's still the same. You know, he hasn't, and uh, he hasn't had a proper job uh, since 2015. And, you know, I've been providing for the family, but then I come here and everybody's like, oh, it's great that your husband um, works so hard. And isn't it great that your husband is always out and about? And it's, I didn't even, even explain anymore because people were understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they must be just, yeah. And of course he gets praised for, he gets praised for my being work. a hands-on father, um, whereas yeah. you know, if you were the mother, it's just of course you'd be doing all those things. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah being a mother over here is very different from Tokyo too. That's that's one thing that I find it the most one of the most difficult things moving here is in Tokyo. You know, I had uh, I was very lucky. I had a maid that came and cleaned the house because I didn't have time to do it. My husband didn't do it, so I had to pay someone to do it. We come here. <laughs> My husband doesn't do it. I'm working. I can't pay someone to do it. So I'm having to work and do the housework. And it's like, it's just, you know, it just gets very overwhelming sometimes as a working mom and a husband that doesn't have a, a job, but doesn't, you know, mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's not equal, is it? Men and women are not equal. So mm. maybe there are men out there who will be, who will do 50% of the housework and be happy to do so. But, you know, not everyone's equal. So. Mm. Uh, just as an aside, have you tried? I'm sure. Is there a S Silver Jinzai Center where you live? Do you uh, in 
that's like a government yeah. office and they do like it's it's like genki elderly people who have retired mm. but still want to earn money and they do house cleaning and they do like babysitting or they go and take care of elderly right. people and that's how I got my first cleaner here in Hiroshima. Oh, I found really? her through that um, because I was you know I had I was busy with my work and I had small kids and I just didn't have time to clean my house. And I thought I'm outsourcing the cleaning of my house. And mm. yeah, I found them. I found this uh, person through the, the Jinzai Center. They introduced her and they made sure that everything was above board and, and they send you an invoice for their salary and they paid it, you know, that you don't have to worry about paying taxes. Mm. They pay their taxes, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's all taken care oh, of. That's... And she was lovely. And yeah. it was like having a, a grandma that we don't we don't have here in like I we don't have any relatives here, and so yeah, it was kind of like having this you know person I could say to her, um, so this traditional Japanese thing, what am I doing wrong here? And she would say, oh, well, you need to do this, and like, you know, it's just like someone who knows all of the cultural things was guiding me. It was really nice, really lovely to have her as part of our family. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I have to look into it. Check that out, everybody. Check that out. Or if you're listening and you are looking for someone to help out around your house, Silver Jeans Eye Center has loads of genki <laughs> elderly people who, I mean, and I know it's Corona, it's not really that sort of the best time and all of that, mm. but um, perhaps in a few months or things when this, things get better, you know, in this future, <laughs> it might be possible again. So yeah, check that out if that is useful to yeah, you. Yeah, that's mm. a good idea. I'm going to look into it. Or even just, you know, op- just another way to look at it as well, maybe it's not the Jinzai Center, but there's definitely somebody in your shuraku, in your mura, wherever you are, who could yeah. be that person for you and would love to be that person, would love to be involved in your family and help you out and mm. receive a salary to, to support them on their nankin, you know. So just yeah. knowing that that's a possibility and opening your eyes again and looking around, you might find someone perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And they're probably working, willing to work for a reasonable wage as well, like not yeah. unaffordable. I, mm. I think there's a lot of moms here that I notice in in, court, in in this Altoya, in the mountain regions, there's a lot more, you know, stuff that parents have to do or mothers have to do compared to the city, where the city, the school PTAs and the school, you know, nurseries don't have, have really evolved where mothers don't really have to be involved or parents don't really have to be involved much but here there's so much parents have to do and, and I just can't believe I feel like I've gone back 50 years in time you know mm. you have to make lunch for them you have to meet up on the weekdays there's a lot of meetings on the weekdays and I'm lucky I work from home I can do that but it must be hard for those moms that have because dads don't really come I've no. noticed around no. here so I've noticed that the moms are the ones that are having to do it. And, and, and I think that's why a lot of them just have part-time jobs. And for someone that, I, you know, I've, I've tried to promote women's empowerment for so long and I've come here and it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of work to be done. It, you know, the exciting part is, you know, there's so I've, I've got the experience. I can, you know, teach these people that they need to empower themselves to, to change and, and break out of the cultural norm. But on the flip side, it's frustrating to see that they don't they don't understand that what they're doing, you know, needs to change. Yeah, they they haven't experienced anything else to know there's an, an a way, a different way that it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I, I hear you there. Yeah. And I'm thank thankful in this in the fact that, you know, this year we have 
restrictions that we can't go into school and things. So everything's cancelled. And I'm like, excellent. All of the silly things are cancelled. So uh, all the things that I didn't want to have to do are cancelled. And only the really, really important stuff is left. And that I feel is is a great way to move forward. So even Mm. here in in Fukushima as well. Yeah, I hope that people can recognize that this is a good way to move forward in the future (laughs) to not have all these things going on that, you know, we don't need the school to fill in our free time. Thank you. Not that we have free time as, you know, working parents. So, yeah. 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 I just, yeah. So I I used to attend a lot of women's networking events in Tokyo, like Women in Finance Japan and Few. And and I wanted to bring that same concept to to, to Kochi. So I initially founded Tosa Women's Network, but I haven't had any events yet. I've got the website, but haven't moved. I haven't done anything on it. Yeah, but I, I would like to eventually start hosting women's networking events here and try and have interesting educational seminars for, and it's all going to be in Japanese, but women to attend. So I've, I've met up with the, the government department, Ministry of, I can't remember which name, in Japanese it's called Danjo, uh, Bio, Danjo, Bio, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> it's like a Bureau for Gender Equality. Yeah, yeah. Danjo, yeah, Kyodo Sankaku. Kyodo Sankaka. Yes, yes. So, so I've been meeting up with them since last year, you know, talking about the initiatives they've got here and what they've what activities they've been doing, what seminars they're hosting. And I went to some of them, but I think what I've found is that one, a lot of people in women in courtship don't think there's a gender divide, even though there is. They think that it, it's all equal. And they think that Kochi is fine because uh, Kochi has one of the uh, number one, Kochi is the number one prefecture for having female CEOs uh, for small, small mid-side businesses. So it, it's, it's tough mm. coming from, yeah, coming from a, you know, investment background and, and trying to promote ESG. And, you know, the whole point of ESG investments is to get more diverse boards on Japanese listed companies and trying to get a better, you know, representation for women in company management and then coming here and trying to talk to people about that concept i just get shut down and they're like well we don't need that here because we're equal uh, prefecture but then you look at the data and the statistics and it's not so yeah yeah that's interesting that they believe that well you know they they think that they're doing really well and yeah. there's obviously this message that look Kochi has so many you know women ceos mm. but yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, when you look at the uh, politicians, it's it's mostly all men. Look at any of the photos and they're all like black-suited men. You don't see any women. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, the interesting fact about this town is the Auto Chamber of Commerce has a female chairman, chairwoman, and apparently she's the only female chairwoman in any of the chambers around Japan. I don't know if that's true because I haven't checked out the data, but that's what they claim. So that's a positive for this town, I think. Yeah, that's a jumping off point. Yeah, I, I'm i actually a, a follower of my city's Facebook page, right? And so yeah. every day I will see some posts of what the mayor did today and all of these sort of things. And I feel like sort of going, making a comment every day of like one or zero for and just mm. every day leaving this comment of how many women are in this picture that you're showing me of what happened yeah. in the city, you know, city official things today, because you mm-hmm. will see one or you will see zero women. And yeah, like you said, all the men in black suits, um, you know, congratulating each other on another um, another meeting that they've had yeah. or whatever, you know. Um, but I'm saying, where are the women? 
Yeah. Hello. I know. And how do we change that? How do we go about educating people here that they need to change that or the need for change? And how do they change? How do we get the women to speak up? Because I think a lot of the times the women in these regional areas are, you know, just taught to keep quiet, let the men do all the work, you know, and don't get involved in politics or company businesses and I think it's it's probably difficult for them to break out of that mold well I think part of it is that you know if you're anyone with any nows the chances are you're not living in a regional city you're in Tokyo you're in Osaka you're doing what you were doing right Um, but if you've stayed behind in your town then you're someone who prefers that the status quo you like what what has always been you feel comfortable potentially Mm. you know even here in Fukushima, I, I see a lot of women trying to do things, but yeah, yeah. there's definitely um, a very much a brain drain to Tokyo of of all our best talent. We'll, mm. we'll go there, you know, but maybe we'll see something different now that this COVID's come along and people will start to return yeah. um, now that it's not necessary to live in Tokyo anymore. Yes. And that's what, uh, so I'm working with the Kochi University lecturers there, the professors there. And one project that we're going to be doing um, from this year is that they, they're going to be bringing in staff from large corporations in Tokyo and bring them. So, they'll, you know, for example, there'll be one, I'm just, I'm just going to name these companies, these companies, it's not going to be these companies. I'm just, for example, potentially, yeah, for example, <laughs> so it'll be like one person from Panasonic, one person from Toyota, one person from, I don't know, um, another Japanese company. So there'll be like 10 of them all come to remotely work from Toyota. And they're going to go around different areas of the town and try and come up with different unique ideas out-of-the-box ideas to help revitalize the town. And I'm hoping through that, and, you know, I've I've been asked to be part of this project, which I'm really excited about. Um, From that, I'm hoping that, you know, some of those companies might invest here and set up a research center or, you know, research and development center or, you know, I don't know, test out a new drone technology or test out some other technology in this remote location and hopefully that way we'll have an inflow of private investment coming in Mm. because I think that's the only way you know tourism is one way but it's not going to be enough to sustain a dying economy we need a larger you know inflow of capital into these regions for to to sustain a long-term you know sustainability of this this type of economy so that's one one project I'm working with the Kochi universities and I'm really excited that that's going to be happening because of the remote working yeah that's going to be possible. Boom. yeah that is so exciting i want to i want to be on this project <laughs> that yeah, is so cool you, you should approach some i you know what i did when i first came here last year i just went and pitched to everyone and anyone that would listen to me i went to the bank i went to the university i went to the town hall i went to the prefecture anybody and anyone that would listen to me and i just created a presentation on what i think you know, this town needs and what I think uh, would help this uh, town's economy. And then through that, I networked and, you know, then that person would introduce me to another person. And that's how I ended up, um, you know, being part of different projects and and part of, you know, being uh, helped by the prefectures for this CrossFit retreat too, because because I'm doing this CrossFit retreat, the prefecture is now doing a a sports tourism uh, from this year, and um, I hope that you know I was I was one of the uh, reasons that 
they thought they could you know promote that this year but i think if you live in a regional city and you have an international experience i don't see why you shouldn't just go and pitch your ideas to you know different organizations and town halls and prefecture because i think that's what's lacking idea generation is lacking and i think if you explain to them that you have this experience and you're coming from a, a global perspective people are quite open to hearing new ideas that is fabulous 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 advice so everybody yeah. <laughs> who's sitting there feeling frustrated um yeah you can give that a go and yeah like i've been i'm just amazed and listening to you talk about all these things that you've made happen in such a short yeah. time i mean it was only what, a year ago a little bit more than a year ago that you yeah august sort of landed in Kochi mm. full time and yeah. and then you just hit the ground running and and went and made something from it and that is amazing what you've achieved so far. I think, you. you know, you're probably feeling like, oh, I'm not making any headway, but in, in, in Japanese standards, you're, you know, light years ahead of <laughs> where you would have been. That's so yeah. great. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing all the updates on these things and see how things are going with this place. I'm definitely going to come visit you down there when things get sorted out, when, yes. you're, when yeah. you're open for business. Yeah, we really look forward to having people here because, you know, tourism is one of the ways we can re-inject more capital to this town. And if we get more exposure, we're going to have more people come. People are going to be, you know, start to be more aware of this town. That's the only way we can get this economy going. Yeah. And I have, and just even just like even one tourist can make a difference at this point where you probably yeah. are starting from, right? Even one person or one family coming to visit mm. to your town makes a huge difference. And I remember it was just a year or two ago, I had some friends come and visit me here in Uwaki. We're yeah. also struggling for visitors. And we were sitting at the foot spa in the middle of this town, the Onsen town. Well, you've been mm. there, right, Yumoto? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, we were sitting there, and while we, in the 10 minutes that we were sort of sitting there doing our foot spa, one guy walked past and nearly tripped over something because he was rubbernecking and looking at us so much because there were three foreigners mm. sitting there. And that was that was fine. He was he was just cute, and he was a little bit embarrassed. And then a, a little old lady came by, and she stopped, and she said, thank you so much for coming to visit my town. Aww. And I was just blown away yeah. that, you know, Seeing those three foreigners who had, you know, I mean, I lived there and she didn't know that, but the other mm. two had come from various countries to visit. Yeah. And she was just so thankful. Oh. And I, that was so sweet. And I just hope yeah. that, um, you know, that visitors to your town can have the same mm. effect for the local people as well, that they can have pride in their town mm. and yeah. and also feel invigorated by, you know, having visitors and new things coming to happen in yeah. their town. Yeah. Because it must yeah. be sad to see it, you know, dwindling mm. and dwindling away like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, one of the things that I'm noticing is that, you know, towns like this are not very good at PR and marketing. And one thing the tourists could help is if they, if they come to a regional town, just post lots and lots of photos. You know, there probably won't be any marks on Google Maps. So just add that wherever it is, add a photo, add a location to Google Maps. And that's what my husband and I have been doing around here as well. You know, trailheads, um, waterfalls, river, anything, any landmark, just add it to Google Maps, add some photos because, you know, the, the town people don't know how to use the internet and, um, you know, internet is what tourists use to, yeah. to go to go on holiday. So that would be a massive help if, you know, you go to regional town, rural town, um, mm. putting 
Great idea. Putting, adding locations on Google Maps with photos and reviews. There you go. We can all help. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's been amazing talking to you today, and I'm so grateful to have had this chance to hear more about your uh, projects and how you got to be where you are today and what's coming next. This is all super exciting, and I am sure that loads of our listeners are going to be inspired just to try yeah. something, but even something small, even if it's just going to visit a little town that you wouldn't normally go and visit, whatever it mm. might be. So yeah. that's really great. Thank you so much for coming along today. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I'm sure we'll see more of what you're up to and I'll give some updates on the show in the future. Yeah, thanks. Okay, take care. Bye. Okay, bye. So that was the interview with Violet down there in Korchi. I don't think I've interviewed anyone from Korchi or anyone who is a regional development, a rural economic development consultant. That's a very cool job to be doing. It sounds super, super interesting. and. I really wish Violet so much luck with her projects, what's happening down there and with the CrossFit gym and the retreat that they're building. So if you would like to know more about what Violet's up to, or if you'd like to support their, um, their project, please have a look at the show notes. You will find links to everything in there. Violet tells me that they are starting up a, a crowdfunding page as well. So go and have a look at that if that interests you. Also, you can find the links for their social media. Follow her on Instagram and or on LinkedIn and keep in touch with what's going on down there so that you can be one of the first visitors when it's all ready to go. It sounds fantastic. I mean, I come from New Zealand where we have things like whitewater rafting, you know, everywhere. And I grew up doing things like whitewater rafting and abseiling and horse riding and you know, hiking and all of those, you know, camping, all those things. That's just it seems a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more difficult to access in Japan. So it's always good to know where there's a good place to go for those things. And it definitely sounds like Otoyo in Kochi is one of them. So it could be somewhere for you to visit this summer. It's, you know, plenty of water activities to keep you cool, all those things. It sounds great. So please do get in touch with Violet and um, say you heard her on the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And as always, if you could give us a review view in iTunes or Apple Podcasts as it's now called, that would be very much appreciated too. And let me know you've done it so that I can chase it up and uh, make sure that we give you a little shout out on the show. I'd love to give you a shout out here, especially, you know, love to include my listeners in the show as much as possible. So thank you so much for listening as always, and I'll see you again next time. Bye-bye.